Welcome to Babel Undone, a podcast created by Premier in partnership with Archbishop Joseph D'Souza and the Good Shepherd Church of India. Bishop D'Souza is a renowned Christian intellectual and civil rights activist from India who leads the Good Shepherd Movement and the All India Christian Council. And I'm Johnny Moore, an American evangelical who serves as the president of the Congress of Christian Leaders and JDA Worldwide. We live in an interconnected world where the questions are complex. So on every episode of Babel Undone, Bishop D'Souza and I aim to bring the global church together in conversation about an important issue facing everyone. And we do it from different perspectives. Bishop comes from the East and I come from the West. So naturally, we meet in London. So Bishop, what are we going to talk about in today's episode? The, the very great fact of uh, how God loves regular, regular people as much as he loves those who are in inverted commas, full-time Christian work. Not only are they not less important for his plans for the world, they may be more important and critical. We live in a world filled with Christians who do normal jobs, live in cities and towns and s- across the globe, yet somehow those Christians have for too long been overlooked but not by Andrew Scott, who is our guest today. You know, Andrew serves as the president and CEO of Operation Mobilization in the U.S. It's one of the most impactful Christian organizations in the world, Bishop. And Andrew's a visionary, he's an innovator, and he's determined uh, to reframe mission, the Christian mission that we're all committed to uh, for for our present present generation, uh, of course, he's a he's a popular speaker and he's the author of the book called "Scatter, Go Therefore, and Take Your Job with You." Thanks, Andrew, for joining us today. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. Delighted to be here and excited for the journey ahead as you help us reframe mission. Our audience, largely Christian around the world is going to be diverse and uh, global. Not, not everyone knows your story as we do. So if a Christian in uh, South America, Africa, Asia asked you, who is Andrew Scott? What would you tell them? What would be your story? I'm first and, well, maybe not first and foremost, but I, I grew up in Northern Ireland. So I have Celtic British roots that have deeply formed who I am and the way I think. Um, I've been also shaped by my travels to 85 different countries and the incredible people I've met in those spaces, including yourself, that have further shaped my thinking. Um, I currently live in the US with my wife and two kids and have many interests ranging from playing soccer every week to scuba diving to showing and breeding dogs. Um, But Uh, on a journey, certainly maybe more so in the last 10 years, where a lot of my thinking has been reframed to seeking to understand what does it look like to pull all aspects of my life together into one holistic, integrated way of living that reflects the one who created me. And that's my journey of learning. And it's I have a ways to go, but still hoping to, uh, even through this podcast, continue to learn more. Very good. Andrew, you were um, born in Europe. You live in America. You've been you've been all over the world. What are some of those lessons from the majority 
world that you think uh, that Christians um, in the West ought to, ought to spend some more time thinking about? Yeah, I think one of the, the first things that comes to mind is uh, when I got chatting with a listening posture to majority world leaders, I realized that their theology was birthed out of different or grew out of different ground than the ground my theology grew out of. And I realized the mistake that I had made, that I had centered theology on the Western form of theology. And and often referred to, and not only me, but many of us do this, is the African contextualization of theology or Eastern contextualization of theology. And what what I was saying and what I was believing in that space was that there was there was uh, sort of a foundation of theology that everybody else had to contextualize around. And when I met people like Bishop, I realized, no, this was theology that was emerging from the soil in which they grew up and was as equally valid, (laughs) and certainly more valid in their context than my my theology was in their context. And so that, that caused me to really take a massive step back and ask, you know, if I got that wrong, what else have I gotten wrong in this space? Uh, and so that 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 would be one of the. I think the second thing, uh, Johnny, in this one is is the whole uh, and it 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 flows from this different uh, this 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 theology that was birthed in their own soil, and that was the integrated way or holistic way of living. Now I will say this is that I find different parts of the majority world have. Uh, adopted more of what they receive from the West than others, but those that have really taken time to develop their own theology, um, the integration of all of life spoke loudly to me to where it exposed my uh, my view that was clearly a sacred-secular divide. I, I had compartmentalized so much of my life, and that Im- it impacted my view of the gospel. It impacted my view of discipleship. It impacted my view of what we we should be about as followers of Jesus in the community. And I realized I had a very segmented, even diminished view of life and the gospel. And and Andrew, when you when you say that uh, homegrown um, theologies from the majority world. What are one or two or maybe three things you have picked up which you have seen are homegrown but not just imported from the West as you have interacted with majority world leaders? And, and Bishop, I mean, even, even this idea of, like, developing a theology, like, you know, where I'm from, uh, in, in my roots, like, <laughs> theology, this stuff is, like, settled. It's <laughs> you know, fixed. This is, it's, it's fixed. <laughs> and so this is, um, you're expanding my mind, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, no, believe me, it's, uh, my, I don't know if expand, break, breaking my mind at one point was probably a better word than expanding, because I had to, I had to really put some of the pieces together in this one, but in a healthy way. I think, Bishop, one of the, the main ones is uh, a gos- the gospel, you know, and I know, Johnny, uh, to your point, this is this is almost untouchable ground for us in the West, right? The gospel is what the gospel is, and you know, often I I hear even as I travel along, well, you know, we need to forget all of this other stuff. We just have to preach the gospel. But what we're really saying is we have to preach our view of the gospel, our interpretation of the gospel. And one of the things, uh, many things, but one of the things that I've picked up from a number of these deep thinking uh, leaders from the majority world who have taken the time to to develop 
their theology from their context is um, it's not a different gospel. I would say it's it's uh, it, it's a, a reflection of it, so it still includes the idea of a person personal salvation, but it doesn't stop then. In the West, we have so often we've kept the gospel to be something that's an individual almost transaction between us and God that changes what happens when we die. And there's very little emphasis on what happens other than that. Yes, there's some personal discipleship or personal disciplines that we should follow, but beyond that, it's not, there's not a whole lot more, but learning from the majority world leaders that the gospel is, is that and so much more that uh, I guess the best way to describe it, or the nomenclature we often use is the gospel of the kingdom. This idea that God had created a beautiful world, a good world, uh, into which he wanted to make his dwelling place with humanity. And that's God's story. He has relentlessly pursued that throughout time and wants to, wants, uh, to uh, make his dwelling place among humanity and wants humanity to experience his shalom, his peace. And so when I go to these parts of the world that are experiencing, are, you know, that, that are looking for that shalom and seeing leaders crying out for something more than a message that speaks to what happened when people die, but a lifestyle and a message that speaks to the here and now, that God's desires for humanity to flourish here and now, um, that, I mean, maybe it's the single biggest uh, wake-up call I had that that this changes everything about not only how I think and what I say, but what I do with my life. And are you getting, uh, how is your audience and those who hear you and those whom you are leading, how do they respond uh, to what we from the majority world would say is the truth, is the gospel? Right. Yeah, Bishop, I, I would say, I, I, you have to segment the audiences, obviously. Uh, I would say that and I believe this from my uh, research and from my experience, and that is that that the younger generation, Gen Gen Y and Gen Z, uh, I believe this is this is something that's core to who they are. They they immediately resonate with this, um, and are actually many of them are actually leaving the church because they don't see and hear this. Now they wouldn't explain it maybe the way you would explain it or I would explain it, but there's this deep longing for shalom there's this deep longing for justice for 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 mercy for the marginalized to be set free and and um and and they're looking for that in the they're looking to see where that's happening in the world and they're looking at the church and the church does not seem and i mean the church that's the big c that that's uh including the mission agency world we don't seem to be concerned about that we seem to be concerned about this little piece that's more focused on Eternity, you know, the what the afterlife, and so I believe this generation are ready, and I, I I'm convinced that if if we articulate this gospel of the kingdom that Jesus talked about for four books in the New Testament and Paul referenced, uh, I believe uh, we could see a mass returning to Jesus. Wow, uh, Johnny, you know, the work that uh, you are doing as chair of the Congress of Christian Leaders. Uh, in uh, bringing peace into the Middle East between Israel and the Muslims and the Arab nations. Um, I would see that as a work of the gospel. Now, he just referred to the young people in America. You are younger, much younger mm -hmm. than us. Uh, how, how would you uh, say the younger generation responds to your kind of activity and what 
Andrew is talking about. You know, I, I, I just think that there are fewer barriers of entry. <clears throat> you know, I, I think right. in my, my parents' generation, there were um, all these sort of uh, things you couldn't do. If you were an evangelical, um, you, you, you should only be talking to a Muslim if you're presenting the gospel to them at this second right now with your only go- goal being being salvation. Um, and of course, you know, like, like you, I'm a believing Christian. You know, I, 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 I believe in Jesus Christ. And yet when I read the New Testament, um, I see minority Christians living in a majority world, bringing a lot of other things. Like when the when the Apostle Paul shows up in the Areopagus in Athens, he's he's quoting their poets. He's pointing to their places of worship and telling stories about, you know, sort of a macro theology, you know, the, the baby steps in his in his worldview. Um, you know, he wa- he wasn't in Hyde Park on the corner corner preaching, you know, not to discourage that at all. You know, we need to continue all of those things probably um, uh, as well. But um, for me, when I sit down with a Muslim leader um, in the middle of the Middle East, uh, I got a lot to talk about. You know, he, he, we, we have a high view of God. Um, you know, we, we uh, uh, you know, love our families. We, we, you know, love, love the culture. Uh, that we're living in, and I, and so I, I think it has a lot to do with them with being a minority uh, as well. And I think even b- young believing Christians in America feel increasingly like a minority. Without saying the nation or the people and all, you you told me a beautiful story some time ago about connecting with somebody in those parts of the world and connecting to the story of God. And then he he just open he wants to talk to you, wants to know. Can you can you tell us that story? Yeah, I mean, a- Andrew, you you've uh, done so much work in this in this area where you. You've sort of led um, this reframing of missions towards uh, Christians in their vocations, um, which ironically, this is sort of how it all began, right? I mean, these Christians were traveling all around the world, like starting hospitals and starting and starting schools, you know, and, and that, that has been my experience all around the world. Everybody thinks there aren't any Christians in these places. And yet... The leaders of these countries know the Christians really, really well because they were cared for in their hospitals. Their kids were educated in their schools. They know the Bible, uh, but they didn't learn it from a preacher. They learned it from a nurse. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, you, you touch on a couple of really, really important points and something I've been reflecting a lot on, uh, you know, this is this whole idea of our starting point and my starting point uh, and so many in the west our starting point is what was handed to us a few years back from our predecessors and i think it's really really important for us to have to do some in the west to do some deep reflection on what should our starting point be and and understand that what was handed to us though it accomplished a lot of really good things uh, was birthed in soil that is not fit to carry, I believe, what we want to do today. And that doesn't make those people that built these things bad or wrong. It's just they, they, they grew in a different context. And so we need to, Johnny, your point that this is not a new thing. It's an old thing. It's the most ancient of ways. It's like, let's go back to that starting point. And I know I still come with my Northern Irish, somewhat American, white Western lands on it, but hopefully they've been cleaned off a little bit. And this is why I need these types of conversations to hear other people's view. But what did it look like for the first believers to live this out? And it's exactly what uh, Bishop is pointing to, is these were people living their life in the marketplaces 
and the communities in the Oikos, this 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 community of influence that they had, and uh, whether they were a farmer or a merchant or or a, a leather worker, they they showed up and they lived a certain way. And Tertullian, in, in around 300 AD, he wrote about what was happening in that world, and he said the the unbelievers did not reflect and say, listen to what the Jesus followers or the Christians are saying, or look, uh, read what they wrote. He said, they, they said, look at how they live their lives. Their lives were a, an, an apologetic that they couldn't argue against, the way they loved their neighbor, the widow, the orphan, the way they took care of the, care of the poor, the way they did their work. And so showing up in the world, wherever we are, whether it's the lo- locale we grew up in or whether we moved to take a job somewhere else in the world where there are few people follow Jesus, it's showing up to be a reflection of God in that space, to have these conversations you mentioned. And, and there's lots of stories of doctors, of nurses, of engineers, of business owners who are just taking care of, loving on people, so much so that people will ask them for a reason for the hope that lies within them. The second point, just very quickly, is that I think one of the things, the deep reflection that we have to do as the Western church is what has evangelicalism done to our uh uh, to our metrics, if you like, and, and even the urgency to get to those metrics, where I don't see the same sense of that in the early church. Uh, somebody wrote a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. It was this sense of there there wasn't this drive towards getting metrics of, and we often see this, of conversion and churches planted. It was just, can we be salt and light in the world, bringing good wherever we go, and allowing the kingdom to emerge in the organic way. And I think we just have to be really careful in this space and do some deep reflection of where did we get to where these metrics became really important and, and the lead metric in how we do what we do as a church in mission. It, it seems it seems to me, Bishop, that uh, in, in circumstances where Christians are minorities, they're often known by their reputation before they're known by their by their message. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been this way for 2,000 years. I mean, when um, I, I, it was Pliny the Younger um, uh, writes in one of his letters, um, he says, uh, those Christians, they feed their poor and our own, right? right? I mean, this is like, this is who we who we are. And, and we, we were having a, a conversation on uh, another um, another episode of, of Babylon Done uh, with uh, Natan Sharansky, uh, the famous um, uh, human rights activist uh, who was imprisoned by the Soviets for nine years. And he said something really fascinating. He he was very close to the Christians, the Christians who were in prison with him, because he knew that because of their values, they wouldn't be informants. He knew he could trust them because of who because of who they were. And I'm just not sure we live in a world where people feel like they can trust their Christian neighbors in the same way. Yeah. And, uh, and Andrew, you, you just talked about metrics. And uh, those of us who are from the majority world, or Global South, uh, we have been uh, burdened uh, and made very anxious with what I now call the tyranny of numbers. I mean, it's great if you're sitting out in the West and in the security of the West that you... Uh, say you want to see a hundred million people and this and that. Can you imagine us in our part of the world where we are minority, we have to live our faith and coming up with those kind of numbers and metrics and what it will do to our relationship with our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, you Do you think this will change or is it going to continue in the West? 
the I see leadership uh, that's already in place and in other places rising from the majority world, and that's where I I take the, my greatest hope because it's being reframed from there rather than in the West, and I think that's critically important. And we now need to learn and posture ourselves as as learners and as outsiders in your story not not the leader lead lead voice in your story not even the uh, in many ways um a peer partner i would say we have to come in as learners and understand what does it look like for you to be a leader for you to lead uh, in in your world and how do we then uh, submit to that and i think that's going to be key and where we do that i think we will see uh change quickly and uh, the type of work done that we long to see done but one of my greatest fears this day is that because we continue to hold a lot of power in the West because of our dollars, that we will become a huge obstacle to these things happening around the world because we insist on continuing to do the things the way we do. And, and what I'm seeing today is I see a, a growing awareness and even uh, desire to at least admit that we're no longer the leaders but we have found other ways to influence how things get done. And that's often through our dollars. And this is very, very dangerous. So I just, I, I, my biggest concern, as I just said, is that, that the church in the West will become the greatest obstacle to the mission of God around the world, simply because we have the power through our dollars to insist on continuing to do things the way we've done them. You were in uh, Sri Lanka some time ago, and you recounted to me the story of what you experienced there. Can you can you do you remember the story you told me about this conference yeah. you went to and how you see uh, stuff happening in the majority world? Yeah, I mean it's again this is another picture of of I, I go there and <laughs> the they're not they're not even considering the historic Western mission idea in their thinking part partly because practically it won't work right this whole idea of of raising support to be on mission with God is just not even a, a possibility in, as their starting point. But they also see the holistic needs uh, that are around them, and they believe that the gospel needs to speak to those as well, or should speak to those and can speak to those. So there's a gathering of, I think it was 750 young people from all over the country, from uh, many, many different denominations. It was the first of its type. And to see uh, these young people uh, embracing the idea that they were God's. Um, they, they were full participants in the mission of God, uh, and were looking uh, just simply for tools and equipping to step into that. There was no convincing needed. They were ready. They were there. Uh, I came away so deeply encouraged that that these were young leaders rising up that didn't need to be reframed. Reframing is something we need to do in the West. I'm finding in the majority world that they're framing this. You're framing this. Uh, in a beautiful way, and our reframing is often a reflection of what God's doing and, and, and is emerging from the majority world, saying, what can we learn, and then reframe our world. Great. And in Sri Lanka, I didn't see reframing, I saw framing, and that was deeply encouraging. So, uh, Andrew, then, help, help us understand, uh, as we begin to, to wrap up our, our time with you, what is the role of the pastor the full-time vocational minister versus the 
the rest of the because you're not you're not talking you're not talking about pastors you're talking about the church you know and, and bishop talks about the majority world he's not just talking about bishops uh, like like um like like himself i mean you're, you're talking about the the everyday regular christians in all these all these countries right. so 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 what is the difference uh in in the world we're living in now yeah i, I mean i'll take you back and and quote somebody who uh we maybe we we should listen to more than me and that's the uh, apostle paul he points this out in ephesians 4 that the role of the leaders of the church the fivefold ministry leaders of the church was to do what to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry uh and so there's clearly a role and these these roles that paul lays out are the roles that that reflect how the gathered body the the ecclesia the community of jesus followers is structured but these are roles that are put in place to equip the many to go out into their world to uh, brilliantly reflect the light of, of Jesus or savor the world with the salt of, of the gospel. Uh, and and uh, so that's what I believe the role of, of the, the, the pastors, church leaders are. When, when, so so in, in the West, what we have done is we have taken that and we've flipped it on its head. So Paul is saying there's a few that will equip the many to do the work, right, in where they are. We've flipped that and the many show up to watch the few do the work, the ministry. And that's the thing we have to flip on its head. Um, and, and, and so the, the gathering on a Sunday becomes the equipping center, the encouraging center, the building up center, the praying for one another center that one and a half hours that 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 scatters people into their world to be salt and light and that's where the ministry the work does so we have to decenter uh the 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 gathering as the play the primary or only place of ministry uh to where it's the equipping center where we minister to one another so that we can go and be uh salt and light in the world i think so that's the role i believe and and the problem comes when we when we flip that into our traditional mission world is that we have also delegated the mission of god to a handful of people to go and do this versus awakening the whole body of christ wherever they are and so this speaks to uh, mission simply being a go-centric rather than a live-centric message and that's one of the things we want to to make very clear that that the mission of god is a live-centric message and yes there will be people that go and move along the natural pathways in the in the early church not everybody went right um, and often they went because of persecution but the ones that went further were often the, the merchants and the tradesmen that were going along natural routes and they were taking the gospel with them and so that meant that there was a base message which was and paul often said this hey this 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 is who you are and his letters that often follow this rhythm this is who you are this is who God is. Now, stop living the way you used to live and live this way because that's who you are. And this is what he wanted them to do in the world. Live a certain way wherever you are so that people can taste and see that God is good. And some of the people kept moving because of, of business and merchant, being merchants, uh, sometimes because of persecution. And the gospel spread far faster than even it's spreading today as a result of that. And so, um, yeah. The role of us in leadership in these spaces, I believe, is to equip the many to do this wherever they are and to encourage those who can to cross borders, to go as merchants in, in their work, uh, to go bring good, be salt and light in new places. Um, what, what kind of a success are you seeing as you have launched uh, initiatives where people go with their jobs? 
Yeah, we we um, yeah we're we're seeing more and more people open to this. We've been able to place people all over the Arabian Pen Peninsula and Southeast Asia. You know, uh, professionals in healthcare and IT and, and the engineering world. Um, and of course, it's still early days, Bishop. You know, there's this message, though ancient, is new for our generation. Um, and we're still building systems, uh, but but we're very encouraged by what we're seeing happening in these in these uh, days of of young people and even older people. Uh, I met a guy who had huge skills within a, in the healthcare world, and he has been able to receive a contract over in that part of the world to go and he immediately is in talking to the CEOs of hospitals into a sector of society that most others will never get into because of his profession. Well, I, I uh, as a, um, you can say a bivocational minister, I'm a business person uh, most most of the day and then my ministry is voluntary. Um, I, I just am really inspired by this, by this conversation and, uh, and Bishop, uh, I can't tell you in my work in the Middle East uh, how many times I've experienced that that thing that uh, in the New Testament they talk about um, as you read chapter after chapter after chapter you you get the sense that the Christians knew who the Christians were you know the the word says that my spirit testifies with your spirit that you're a child of God and I can't tell you how many times I've met Indians and Filipinos and uh, and 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 people in uh, sectors like healthcare or in energy. But before I talked to them, I knew uh, that that person was a brother and sister uh, in in Christ. And by the integrity of their work, the quality of the work, there it's like a thousand sermons times a thousand. Right. And Andrew, we thank you for um, for your friendship, for all you're doing to inspire um, people to embrace uh, a reframed mission, uh, same mission. Uh, but mm -hmm. a uh, but a, a different approach for a different time. This is exactly the type of conversation, Bishop. I know you imagined uh, when uh, when you started Babel Undone, making sense of a changing changing world through perspectives like yours. So so thank you for joining us, Andrew. Yeah, thank, thank you, Andrew. You really happy to have you on this. We look forward to further conversations. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you, Johnny. You know, Johnny, seeing a Western missions leader it's not about the color right we are we are all in mutuality grappling with this and taking the lead in his own world like we are doing stuff for me is a sign of great hope for the future you know i was thinking exactly that um what it must sound like to you having spent your entire ministry um, your global ministry, but emerging from the from the east, and to hear to hear Western leaders uh, listening to the to the majority church, and it also struck me, Bishop, that when we talk about the majority church, we're talking about the majority church. I mean, we're talking about most Christians around the world well, are not Western believers, yes. and yet most of these Christians live as minorities in their country and and so how do you how do you think that experience of being a minority you know has shaped this this point of view uh, being a minority forces you like it forced the early church it forced our jew jewish leader who was in prison to come to the core issues and of course 
being a minority, you don't have the arrogance of power or money. So you don't see your neighbor as an enemy. You don't see your enemy as without God, you know, your neighbor as without God. So one of the things that we recover being a minority is to recognize that God is not absent in the lives of all these people of other faiths. He's there because they're all God's image bearers. And, and, and then, as you said, you find a connection with Christians, but you also find a connection with other humans because, like me, he's an image bearer. He may be a different, you know, but authentically, just because man fell into sin, we didn't stop being God's image bearers. So for me, it is a great time to to work this out as a minority and to see what it means. And then, of course, the whole issue of standing for your faith, paying the price, uh, you know, be in your culture, not run away. I mean, all of those things make sense. And all of Jesus' teaching about in this world, you will have trials. He never promised us that everybody is going to come and make us a celebrity. No, uh, some will because of the power of their lives. But, but as a minority, you work out the Christian faith and do theology in a different way. Uh, Martin Luther used to talk about it, the great reformer. He used to say there is a theology uh, of power and a theology of the cross mm. in his articles. And, of course, he was talking about the Roman Catholic Church. At my, uh, the, theology of the theology of power compromises and makes that which is right wrong and that which is wrong right. But the theology of the cross says uh, uh, um, about a matter what it should say. Wrong is wrong and right is right. That's the theology of the cross. So you see, once you're a minority, you have to carry your cross, and then you have to stand. So you are not caught up in a theology of power. And Christians can enter into a theology of power, especially if they have the money and political power, and, and if they have colonial power, etc. I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, you know when when Jesus spoke about uh, how, how difficult it is for a rich man to be a believer. Um, you could. You could sort of flip that uh, and and almost say like um, you don't have to have power to be a Christian, but if you have power, it's much harder to be a faithful faithful Christian. It's like once you have something, uh, letting it letting it go. Um, and in the West, you know, it's a it's a little little different where we are having this conversation in the United Kingdom, particularly in London, which is a more diverse uh, city. Um, but in a majority Christian country um, like the like the United in the United States, like most Christians in America don't know people who aren't Christians. And I, I think that most Christians in the majority world all know people who aren't Christians. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so many so many parts of that conversation and so many lessons I've learned from you, Bishop. Um, you know, I, I always say uh, of all the Christian leaders in the world, you're, you're the one I know who um, knows how to best deal with the world and the complexities of the world. This is why you envision this, uh, this Babel Undone um, podcast. And I, I just really love um, that he reminded us 
um, that the role of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Um, and not to flip it around. And not to flip it around. Which I, has happened. I think most of us have never seen it right side up. And that's yeah. that's what you, that's what you're doing. And all this stuff about having a theology, it's about those other things. It's about the questions that those of us in the West don't have um, the need to ask. But we certainly need their implication in our in our lives. And, and, and this conversation has been a, a great blessing to me. I hope it's a blessing to you. Yeah, it is. And let's, uh, let's do what, what God wants us to do. Thank you for joining us today for Babel Undone. If this conversation had you thinking, then why don't you share it with someone else? For more episodes of Babel Undone or other amazing content that helps Christians live out their faith, you should head over to premiere.plus. That's Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, uh, for the Americans listening in, dot plus. <laughs>